Welcome to the Security Sessions podcast, brought to you by Talist and hosted by me, Nera Jones. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the technologies, people, and processes behind information security and delving into topics like data security, remote access, and digital transformation. We'll be speaking to Talis and industry experts to bring you fresh perspectives on how to navigate the world of cloud security. Today, in episode 11, we will be talking about quantum computing. And I've been actually reading the news this week, and uh, one thing that I always look uh, uh, look at when uh, when examining any particular market is when it's about to break uh, break out into the mainstream area, and lo and behold, uh, there was a startup called Oxford Quantum Circuits or OQC launched in the UK the first quantum computing as a service. And as you know, as soon as something is as a service, that means you know pretty much we're going to see commercial solutions uh, in the area. Um, And uh, the other thing I look at, apart from things being as a service, is when they get smaller. And indeed, that happened too this week. Uh, Quantum computing actually just got desktop-sized. This quote-unquote sensational breakthrough was likened by the press to the moment during the 1960s when computers shrunk from being room-sized to being sat on top of a desk. The system is called DeltaFlow.OS and has been designed by another UK startup uh, from Cambridge University called Riverlane, and it runs on a chip using a fraction of the space necessary in previous hardware. So two major developments this week in quantum computing. Today, it is my privilege to welcome two sensational guests, Michael Gardiner, Solutions Architect from Thales, and Mike Brown, CTO as Izara. Welcome, Michael and Mike. Thank you very much for having me today. This is a pleasure. Yes, thanks for having us. You're very welcome. So let's get straight into it. In what ways will quantum computing change today's business data centers? Starting with you, Mike. Well, I, I think it's important to think about both the the positive and the negatives that are going to um, affect um, businesses and data centers specifically, but businesses in general as well. One of the things that quantum computers really can be relied upon is to solve certain types of problems that we can't solve today. These can be things such as chemistry problems, like how can we create fertilizer in a more efficient manner? We use 3% of all of the energy produced in the world to make fertilizers, which is shocking when you watch, say, your compost bin in the backyard and you're thinking about how to um, fertilize your garden then. So from a, for a modern business, they can look to certain types of problems, such as in big data analytics, such as in drug design, such as in material science, that they'll be able to solve, which they can't today. The other side of quantum computing is that it's going to make some cybersecurity problems exasperated. Specifically, quantum computers can break the public key cryptography we rely upon for the foundation of trust in digital business. And so we're going to need to rethink how to address those problems. And and, and indeed, so how concerned do you think 
we should be uh, with regards to the potential of security threats around quantum computing, Michael? Yeah, I guess as far as the potential goes, uh, we're talking about a complete break in the asymmetric security schemes that we use for digital signatures and roots of trust. Uh, so you should be very concerned. What, where you get tempered a bit is what's the time scale for that? And there's a variety of estimates ranging from you know three years, 10 years plus. NIST uh, in the United States is currently undergoing a process to determine standards around which algorithms will be used going forward uh, as common protections against quantum adversaries. And uh, Mike, do you have any take on that from what you observe in the industry? Yeah, I, I very much agree with uh, the direction that Michael is going. You know, we have the opportunity to speak to a lot of customers, um, both in North America and around the world. And the consistent messaging that we hear from them um, is that you know, the scale of this problem um, is huge because if we think about where crypto is within an enterprise, it's you know we've done a wonderful job of making it invisible in many many places. You know it's in the lowest levels of protocols we use to the highest level of authentication that we have when we access a network. So the the scale is large, and the work around discovery and finding a crypto and getting migration plans in place is, is large, but the time scale means that we have an opportunity to do this in a measured pace. This isn't alarmist. This is the large problem, but we know ways to fix the problem. And we know that we can start um, today, start approaching to solve the problem. Very interesting. And uh, for example, what, what kind of uh, safeguards would you actually recommend? Yeah, so from my perspective, I think it's important to focus on where are the problem areas that are of most concern today? Michael is right. The the estimates for when a quantum computer will break commercial cryptography um, kind of point to, you know, 2026 is the most aggressive target, but realistically more 2030 and, and later on then as well. So you don't need to fix everything today and you don't even need to have plans in place today for everything, but you do need to start in some areas. So I'll, I'll pick on one example. We do a lot of work in the automotive industry. And if you imagine a vehicle the length of time that it takes from when a car is in its sort of the twinkle in someone's eye to when it's on the road and to when it's no longer on the road is 20 years. So this is a long-term device that is going to be out there in the field for a long period of time, well past when quantum computers will break uh, commercial crypto. So the planning stages need to take place today because a, a modern car is a computer system. You know, the, um, one of the most recent Ford F-150s, 140 million lines of code in it. That, that's astronomical. And so some specific areas within vehicles, such as um, code signing, and how do we ensure that the software running on the vehicle is authentic, are places that we have approved solutions today that we can focus on to allow us the time to prepare to for the overall changes to the rest of the infrastructure around it. So what I'm hearing really is we have an excellent opportunity to actually prepare for when this really, really becomes mainstream, which, uh, as we've seen in the news, you know, it's uh, it's on the verge of uh, of doing just just that. So whilst we have still have time before it becomes fully uh, commercialized and part of everyday life and perhaps sitting in your homes doing whatever or in the devices you use, uh, we should really plan, uh, plan for this. So, Mike, you gave us some uh, examples of uh, 
application uh, that this technology uh, enables. Michael, have you got any uh, other types of applications that you can share with us? Uh, I think Mike did a pretty good list up front there with uh, material science, uh, drug development, um, optimization problems could be one, so traffic management, um, as well as artificial intelligence. Those are going to be key areas that use quantum computing. And uh, you mentioned early on about quantum computers showing up as a service. And I think this is a pattern we're going to see going into the future, that these quantum computers will be more and more made available as a service and not something that you would have sitting on your desktop. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually reading in the, in the news also this week that uh, there are just about 50 quantum computers worldwide. So uh, as a service makes a, makes a lot of uh, change. So you mentioned earlier on, Mike, that uh, the we have time to to plan for this, but we don't as as always, there are priorities and we don't know what the future may bring. And indeed, for uh, for the world, 2020 has been a very odd year, which couldn't be predicted. Um, so uh, so when we're looking at a, a change over uh, uh, to, to usage of this kind of, uh, of technology, bearing in mind that uh, uh, the, the population and businesses at large will probably do what they've always done, which is do the, the strictest minimum to survive and plan ahead for business survival, there will be some instances uh, perhaps where uh, the changeover might be quite uh, abrupt, or do you think it will be a gradual changeover? Any of you, Michael or Mike? Yeah, I can I can start with that one. You know, if we if I go back to your comment before about quantum computing as a service, I I think it it kind of points to the parallels to the evolution of digital computers. You know, the, the some of the famous sayings from um, IBM back in the fifties talking about digital computers, there'll only ever be five in the world or five or six in the world then. Well, ironically, that's what cloud computing is, right? Is, is a few large um, uh, distributed clusters of computers that people are ask, uh, accessing in a time-sharing way. And, and I think you know, your point is very valid. We'll follow a similar type of evolution with quantum computers where we'll have those um, systems that are out there and, and um, uh, accessible by a lot of people. But they're going to be very expensive um, at the beginning. You know, the these these um, machines for a lot of the um, frameworks they're looking at. You know, they require um, being cooled to almost absolute zero. You know, this is not something that you're running on your desktop today. Um, that's for farther out in the future than at a large scale. So that means for an organization, because of the costs associated with them. That doesn't mean your garden variety um, uh, script kitty is going to be using a quantum computer to attack every system that's out there. It's going to be targeted. It's going to be nation states at the beginning. It's going to be um, large organizations that have access to this then, and which means that the targets are going to be the high value targets. You know, I mentioned the over-the-air code signing example with vehicles because if I can um, recover the private key associated with um, signing all code for, um, say, a line of cars, that's a very valuable um, piece of information. So for an organization, what that means is that in addition to discovering all the crypto you have, so you know what needs to be changed and whether you're changing it or whether your vendors are changing it then, um, part of it is also the risk 
um, uh, migration and risk appetite discussion of what are the high value systems I have today that I still care about five years from now? You know, it's a very common discussion with a customer where they'll say, well, this, this um, system is very important to me, but I'm going to end of life in three years. And that means you don't really need to worry about it from a quantum <laughs> threat perspective at this point then, because it's going to be in a box buried somewhere uh, in the future then. So the for an organization, it's highlighting what crypto do I have and what is the most important systems from a value perspective and start there. Um, don't focus on the low value, um, uh, low security things at the beginning because it's just a waste of your valuable resources. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think one other thing is uh, organizations will often use identities that last five years, 10 years, digital identities. Um, and so they can move towards having shorter life cycles on those identities, changing them out every year, for instance. Um, that's something that they can do proactively while they're waiting for the quantum standards to arrive. And it will make things a lot easier when they do arrive because they have that experience of changing, rotating identities more frequently. Absolutely. And indeed, uh, digital identity developments worldwide have been uh, uh, have been uh, moving on at a pace. And uh, and this has been indeed exacerbated by uh, by the pandemic. And you can only see more of that. So what I'm hearing from uh, from you both is that uh, it it will not be such a panic as we had for for year 2000 if uh, if you remember you know uh, the doomsday prediction that we that we had uh, some uh, 20 years ago so uh, so that's really uh, that's really interesting so in terms of uh, what organizations can do and and what steps perhaps they can take today to prepare so as not to be in a, in a situation of uh, of panic when the times come because what you've described earlier on is essentially standard risk management practice uh, which any security professional uh, will be very familiar with in terms of manage your risk and look at the highest risk first uh, and then adopt a strategy uh, accordingly so uh so what steps can we take now so i, I can um uh, give you a few from the discussions we see with customers and what what seems to resonate with them you know step one is understanding what is the scope of this problem and how it affects you as an organization and so that means that the very first thing you're doing is is effectively an archaeological expedition you need to sift around in all of the dusty corners in the building, look at everyone's filing cabinet and find the crypto that you're using so that you can properly sit down and start to evaluate the scope of impact from uh, the threat from a quantum computers and what are the systems that are going to change? You know, the reality for an organization is that they probably don't have many spots where they're actually doing crypto coding themselves, that, that's a very niche area then. More than likely, you are interacting with cryptography through your vendors, through the partners that you have out there. Um, and so you need to be able to find out what you have, know where, um, uh, where that crypto is within your organization, and then use that as a way to start putting your migration plan in place. You know, What are the things that you need to fix yourselves? What are the things that you need to go talk to your vendors about to understand what their roadmap is? And there's starting to be tools out there, um, you know, 
put in a small plug, I Sarah just launched one called I Sarah Advanced to help you find the crypto that is out there so you can do this planning. Um, you know, I, I, I want to keep kind of um, emphasizing and reiterating here that this is this is this opportunity to plan. This is a problem we know which is coming. You know, the, the Y2K one is a great example. You know, we can debate the uh, how, how bad the problem actually was, but the opportunity there and the lessons that we learned as an IT industry was around planning for a large scale problem like that, that requires, you know, touching many systems and working with many different vendors to get it in place with a fixed deadline. We don't have a fixed deadline yet for quantum computers, but we do know that a crypto change, say to, for a, a large bank, is going to take seven to 10 years. So, you know, they need to start that early. Indeed, and, uh, and and it's probably fair to say that uh, the the banks will probably be uh, more ready than uh, than anyone else uh, when the times come due to the very nature of uh, of their businesses, uh, uh, I guess. So, uh, in terms of uh, you, I know you mentioned NIST earlier on, and and any guidelines coming out of of NIST is always extremely welcome. But uh, given the fact that we're facing new risk, and uh, and as you both know, we've had uh, a major focus on uh, data protection and and data privacy over the past sort of four or five years worldwide and this is continuing and now the focus is uh, is shifting towards uh, artificial intelligence because that that has now uh, become mainstream and uh, you may know that uh, the euro is already considering something gdpr like for regulating artificial intelligence so now we have quantum computing are you hearing any noises around in terms of uh, what regulations will need to be in place? So from, from my perspective, um, we're involved in a lot of um, standards organizations uh, globally. Um, so Michael spoke about uh, NIST before, which is a U.S. organization focused on, on sort of U.S. federal uh, government requirements then. But of course, there's, there's many, many organizations. And in Europe, you have ETSI, which is the European Telecom Standard, Standards Institute, ISO, ITU, um, the IETF for um, defining how the internet works. And all of those organizations are looking at how quantum safe crypto is going to fit into the protocols and systems that they're responsible for. Now, the other piece, which you mentioned um, about more from a regulatory perspective, you know, uh, we see things like um, uh, ANSI X9, which is a, a US North American organization focused on financial services. They're looking at what is the the crypto requirements going to be? Of course, you know things like PCI, which is for payment cards. Um, they will be um, integrating kind of quantum uh, safe crypto into their uh, into their standards, and um, I, I think this is something that we'll see for organizations. To your earlier point, um, for banks, for example, um, where you know you'll see this becomes an audit committee issue, where you need to report in on the status of how the organization is preparing and then ready for the threat from quantum computers, um, just like any other um, finding that you need to think about um, from preparing your business from the threats that, that might face it. 
So, uh, so that's really interesting. Something for us all to uh, to put our teeth into uh, when it comes to regulation coming ahead. So, I guess compliance departments are going to be uh, very busy uh, indeed. I actually wasn't aware that uh, uh, the PCI SSE was actually looking at uh, quantum. So, uh, uh, I've learned something today. Thank you very much for that. So, any other development you might see in terms of uh, quantum computing? So one of the, the things that's really interesting about the stage of quantum computing that we're at right now um, is we're not quite at the fully fault tolerant systems. So when we think about, again, I'll use the analog of, of um, the digital computing um, evolution. Uh, we went through different stages where at the beginning you had, you know, um, ENIAC and punch cards and all of these until we eventually got to, you know, um, fancy laptops and mobile devices for uh, accessing computing. We're still in the early stages in terms of quantum computers. We're in what's kind of known as NISC, so noisy intermediate state uh, quantum computers, where we can do some types of calculations, but to be frank, not super useful at this point then. So there, there's a lot of great work um, going on in the hardware space around how to build these fault tolerant systems, but there's also a lot of hard work going on in the algorithm space around how do we design algorithms to take advantage of um, whatever type of, of um, specialness we can get out of the NISC-based um, quantum computers that we have today. I think that's a really interesting area. Um, and I also think this whole general area around quantum algorithms is really interesting because we only have a couple of, of basic quantum algorithms today. Shor's algorithm, which is what breaks uh, commercial crypto, is one of them. Um, and I, there's a lot of hard work going into, are there additional algorithms that we can come up with which leverage these sort of unique um, properties of quantum computers? I think that's a fascinating area to watch to see what innovations come out there. There's also some interesting work with uh, the D-Wave computers and how to use them uh, for prime factorization, which has been interesting to watch the slow progress there. Indeed, certainly uh, an area to, uh, to watch. So um, I think we're nearing uh, the, the end of this particular podcast, but uh, I, I don't want to, uh, to let you go just yet. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm now going to ask each of you uh, for one tip, one uh, uh, element of best practice that you would uh, like to uh, leave our listeners with. So starting with you, Mike. So I, I mentioned a couple of things before um, for organizations around you know, discovering the crypto you have to put plans in place. But for a tip, I think what I would suggest for uh, uh, companies today is this is the opportunity to learn and experiment. So use this time we have now before quantum computers will actually break commercial crypto to understand you know, what, are, what are some of the changes you need to take place. Do some experimentation. Look at, um, you know, uh, if I change this system in this way, how is it going to impact other things? You know, I, I always think of, you know, computer systems are, are like onions, um, and especially if you have kids that watch Shrek, even though that movie's 20 years old now. <laughs> um, you know, we have the kind of crypto at, at its core, so the math there, but there's all of these assumptions which go on top of it around how systems are built in terms of how long things take, um, how big packets are going to be. This is the opportunity to learn and to experiment and make sure that you are that you have everything in place so that you can have a successful transition to a, a quantum safe enterprise. Very wise advice. So, and Michael. And I, I agree with Mike there that uh, computers are a lot like ogres in that uh, layer, uh, layered approach. 
but I, I think that working with your vendors uh, around what they're doing to meet the quantum threat, uh, that would be something to start doing. And to practice your crypto agility. Uh, we're coming up on a point of disruption in the algorithms that we use. Things will be in flux. Uh, even once the standards are, are agreed upon, there'll probably be tweaks to the parameter sizes ongoing. So practicing your agility, and uh, that's probably one of the best things you can do right now. Excellent. I like it. Crypto agility. That's uh, really great. Thank you so much to both of you, Michael and Mike. It was Michael Gardiner at Thales and Mike Brown at Izara. Thank you for being fantastic guests. It was a pleasure having you today. You have been listening to the Thales Security Sessions podcast, episode 11 about quantum computing. Thanks for listening. Love this episode of the Talus Security Sessions podcast? Search us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast service to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to visit us at cpl.talusgroup.com to access previous episodes, bringing you insights from industry experts on the latest cloud and data security news and trends. Thank you for listening.